Welcome to the Bay Area Church of Christ. I don't know if you are visiting, if you're a member, but regardless, we're glad you're here this morning. I understand there's been a lot of things that have been going on in our society. A lot of things have been causing people to be anxious and nervous, afraid. Well, this morning I seek to encourage you. I seek to strengthen you through the word of the Lord. If you've come this morning, you feel a little discouraged, downtrodden, or defeated, well, you're in the right place. This message is meant to encourage you. It is meant to lift your spirits. But this message is not about you. This message is all about who God is and what he's done. So I hope you have your Bibles this morning. We're going to be looking at lots of scripture. If you take notes, there's going to be lots of scriptures that will be referenced that are not going to be included up on the slides. I feel it's been placed on my heart to preach to you this morning about how good God is. Would that be all right? Can we talk about God this morning? You know, I feel we need to be reminded sometimes that we serve an all-knowing God. We serve a God who is all-powerful, a God who is all-seeing. And I think that once we remember who God really is, it'll make a huge difference in our lives. So this morning, I want to talk about how God is unique. He's undisputed, and he's undeniable. Let's get into this first verse. God is unique. Open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, or you can read it here on the screen. It says, Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? There is no one like God. Amen? He is still what he was back then and what he will be in the future, an amazing God. He is unique. There is no one like him. You know, our society doesn't like to acknowledge the fact that there's only one God. That offends some people. They want there to be multiple options, multiple gods. Your way is just as good as my way. And so they may get offended by that. But the goal is not to offend, but to inform. And the Bible has made it clear that there is only one true God. God is unique. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. This is going to be a familiar section to you. Many of you will have it memorized. If you don't think you have it memorized, if we start it, you can probably finish it. Isaiah 55, verse 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. You're familiar with that scripture, right? Like I said, even if you didn't know, you knew it, you knew it. Now, sometimes when we reach a familiar section of Scripture, we may have this tendency to just kind of fast forward through it. And I've made that statement before, but I think a more honest statement is that when I reach a familiar statement in Scripture, I am tempted to sort of fast forward through it. Like, yeah, I know what he's talking about right here. I'm going to kind of skip ahead a little bit. I got that one memorized. I'm good. No, I'm not. 
Let's dwell here for a minute. God doesn't think the way you think. I want you to let that sink in. God doesn't think the way you think. He doesn't think the way I think. So when you worry about what's going to happen in the future, you know, God's not worried. It tells us that in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. When you can't forget the things that you've done wrong, and for those of you who might have been a Christian for a little while, you might have some things in the back of your mind that kind of nagged you, and you can't seem to forget it. But God can forget it, and he makes that clear in Jeremiah 31, 34. And when someone does you wrong, and it just gets under your skin, and you find yourself getting petty and maybe even vindictive, you know God doesn't act that way. God doesn't do that. And instead, he demonstrates his mercy and his love for us by forgiving our sins. And you can read about that in Romans chapter 5. Verse 8. Now this next one I really want you to get a hold of. Because this is going to hit some of you a little bit harder than it will others. When you look at yourself in the mirror, and all you see are flaws, imperfections, blemishes, God doesn't look at you that way. God's not thinking what you're thinking. When he looks at you, he sees his child. He sees a child that he loves, that he sent Jesus to die for, so that you can spend forever and ever with him in heaven. Amen? God is not like us. God doesn't think the way you think, and he doesn't do the things that you do. Hallelujah. God is not like us. This next point I want to get to. This is how I titled the sermon this morning. The name of the sermon is Undisputed. And so my second point is that God is undisputed. In professional boxing, the undisputed champion is a champion that's recognized by every organization in boxing at that particular weight class as being the champion. Now, undisputed doesn't mean somebody don't like it. It doesn't mean everybody's okay with it. It just means that, well... It is what it is, undisputed. When we think about our God, first of all, there's no one in his weight class. There's no one on his level, and our God is undefeated. So God is undisputed, and part of the reason is because he is sovereign. Now, when we hear terms like sovereign, what does that mean? I'm from America. This is where I grew up. I am American. We don't have sovereignty in this country. Everyone and everything has checks and balances. We have three forms of government, three branches, not one monarch or one dictator. So no one is sovereign. In our court system, if you ever have to go to court, the judge that you stand in front of, you don't like what he says, eh, you can probably appeal it. So even that judge isn't sovereign. In our homes, husbands and wives, we work together. God is the head. There's no sovereignty. So we don't have a good indicator of how to, how to compare this to anything here. Well, what about in another country? We look over at England. Well, they have a monarch, but it doesn't work the way we read about how it's supposed to work in the Bible. They're not sovereign over there either. And so we may have an ability to, to just not really get a hold of this idea of sovereignty. But sovereignty means 
You can do whatever you want. There's no one who can say or do anything about it. You have complete autonomy. You have complete control. That's what sovereign means. Now, I want you to think about that. God is sovereign. Who can stop him? You realize that God is unstoppable? Let's look at a verse. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10. Isaiah 46.10, it says, I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come? I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. Church, if you don't belong to God, those of you who are here who are in this message, if you don't belong to him already, this might offend you. It might rub you some kind of way, because God is saying, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, hundreds or even thousands of years in advance, and I'm still going to do it. He is unstoppable. You cannot defeat the plans of God. Many have tried, and everyone has failed. If you believe that all worldviews are basically the same, this isn't going to sit well with you. Because the Bible says there's only one right way, and that's God's way. But if you acknowledge God as sovereign, if you've already accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is good news to you. God is undisputed. God makes his plan known hundreds, thousands of years in advance. We call that prophecy. And he fulfills every one. We read over and over in the Bible. We're going to pick it up a little bit. Y'all still with me this morning? All right, let's get into this. We're going to pick this up. We read in the Bible over and over again where God is victorious. And he uses the weak to shame the powerful. It says so right in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. So we see some examples of this all throughout history. Old Testament, New Testament. I don't have time to get into all of it this morning. But I got time to get into a little bit. So let's do that. Exodus chapter 12, verse 31. We read about how he used Moses, a man who was not confident in his ability to speak. And he sent them to the king of Egypt to deliver a message and ultimately drove Egypt to its knees. We read about in first, I'm sorry, in Joshua chapter 6, verse 2, we read about how he used the Israelites to defeat a fortified city. Of Jericho. We read in 1 Samuel chapter 17 how he used David, a mere shepherd, to defeat the champion, Goliath. God is undisputed. He doesn't lose. He uses the weak to shame the powerful. And so then we go to Judges chapter 7, and we read about a man named Gideon. And with 300 men, God used Gideon to defeat an army of 135,000 Midianites. God is undisputed. He uses the weak to shame the powerful. One of my favorites is over in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 25 through 40. We read about a lonely prophet by the name of Elijah. And that lonely prophet takes on 400 prophets of Baal, a false god. 
And not only does Elijah ask God to send fire from heaven to consume the animal, God consumes the animal, he consumes the wood, he consumes the stones, and he consumes the 12 pitchers of water that were placed on the altar so there's nothing left but a smoking hole in the ground. Our God is undisputed. And then we get to the New Testament, and we read about him sending his son in the form of a helpless baby. And the kings of the earth could not defeat him. We read in Matthew chapter 4 that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. But wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus versus Satan isn't a fair fight. So it's only after 40 days and 40 nights of not eating that Jesus is alone, no disciples, no family, not even John the Baptist, no angels, and he's one-on-one -on -one with Satan, being tempted. And he still doesn't fall. You realize God is undefeated? You realize that God is undisputed? And so it seems over and over again that he almost tries to help the opponents out. It's almost like he stacks the deck to try and give them a leg up, but it still doesn't work. God is undefeated. He's undisputed. And so now we read in the New Testament that he wants to use you to bring about a great victory. The same undefeated God, the same undisputed God, wants to use you. This is where we get to participate. When you look at verses like 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, Matthew chapter 28, we read about the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 16, we read about how Jesus said he would establish his church. That's you. That's me. He said he would establish his church and the gates of Hades would not overcome it. Turn your Bibles, please, to 1 Timothy. Chapter 6, verse 12. The verse says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Make no mistake. If you're a Christian, you have been called into this battle. Jude chapter 1 verse 3 says, to contend for the faith. You're in this fight. Some people say, well, whoa, 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 I don't want to participate in the battle. I'll just sit this one out. I'm agnostic. I don't want to be in this. Well, that's not an option. There's a battle going on. There's only two sides. And you're on one side and you're on the other. We read about that in Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Yes, God has called us to join him in this fight. But the good news is he doesn't send us out unequipped. He equips us with the full armor of God. That includes the sword, which is the word. And at that point, because of how well he's equipped us, you realize it's no longer a fair fight. You realize that? 
That as Christians, when you go out into battle against those who would oppose the Lord, this is not a fair fight. You might feel outnumbered, but you're never outmatched. The odds are so stacked in your favor. The victory is already guaranteed because you belong to the Lord. The word of God versus any other religion, versus any other worldview, any other scientific theory, it's as though you have a sword and they have a pool noodle. They're not even equipped for this battle. I put up my belief in Jesus against any worldview, anytime, anywhere. Let's have the conversation. And speaking of which, have you ever had a conversation with an atheist? How many of you? Like a serious conversation. I've had conversations, I've had debates. You realize the arguments that are put forth don't even make sense? They don't stand under their own weight. If you talk to them long enough, it contradicts itself. It makes no sense. Talk about the Quran. Have you ever read the Quran? contradicts itself all the time. All the time. It's inconsistent. And it's kind of a moot point because the people don't follow it anyway. Christianity. The one true God. What about these other beliefs? I'm reading in the news and I'm hearing stuff that where every movement of this, this agenda seems to be against God. There's this movement that's trying to say, hey, by the way, there's, there's more than two genders. Wait a minute, what? That's not even logical. You claim science, but do you even science? Because have you not had a biology class? That's not the way this works. So your worldview, your belief doesn't stack up against the truth of what we read in the Bible. It's not a fair fight. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. It says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This verse says, we live in the world, but we don't fight the way the world fights. There's another verse that says, we're in the world, but not of the world. Some people get a little confused. In the world, but not of the world. Basically, you're somewhere you don't belong. You're somewhere you don't fit in. Anybody ever go scuba diving? No, Daryl hadn't been, I hadn't either. Some of you have been scuba diving. When you're scuba diving, you're in the water, but you're not of the water. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You're in that water, but you don't really belong there. The fish and the other creatures, they live there. You, not so much. You're in the water, but not of the water. Right now we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We don't fight the way the world fights. And as a matter of fact, our weapons have divine power. I don't think we take that seriously enough. Our weapons have divine power, 
And for far too long as Christians, we've been playing defense. We act like we're the ones losing. It's woven into too much of our, our vernacular. You can't even explain what you believe without it being called apologetics. It just feels like you need to say you're sorry for what you believe. Now, I know what the word means. I know what apologize means to give an explanation. I understand it, but we've accepted too much defeat, I believe. You want to go somewhere and learn more about the word? You want to go and learn? You want to sing and you want to praise? What do we call it? A retreat. Those are just pet peeves, perhaps, but I believe we need to realize that we already have the victory. We need to realize that God has already equipped us, and the weapons that we fight with have divine power. So what do we do when we encounter these different beliefs? What do we do? Do we run away? When you encounter someone who has a hostile belief against Christianity, do you run away? No. Do you shun those people? No. Do we attack them? No. We do just the opposite. We don't, ridicule, we don't ridicule them. We don't shun them because they're not the enemy. The people are not the enemy. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So it's the argument that gets demolished, not the person making it. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That means our fight is not against the sinner. It's against the sin. It's against the beliefs, it's against these notions, it's against these strongholds that Satan has established. The sinner is merely the hostage. And we don't attack the hostages. In fact, we rescue them. Do you realize the people that oppose God, they're not your enemy. They're the hostages that we've been sent to rescue. This is the battle that we are fighting. We're fighting for them, not against them. That is what God has called us to do, and for far too long, I think we've gotten it a little bit backwards. So here I am to encourage you this morning, to encourage myself in the Word. So we fight against these spiritual forces. Now, I don't want to get you weirded out this morning, but spiritual forces, there's real evil in the world. There are demonic forces that are in the world today, and that is what we are fighting against. And so... How do we stack up against them? I mean, if Satan is real as we say, seems a little scary. So how do we stack up? Let's look at James chapter 4, verse 7. 
James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Hmm. So what do I have to do? Basically, you have to show up. This is your participation trophy. You just have to show up. Now, I don't want to oversimplify. What does showing up mean? Showing up means you submit to God and you resist the devil. And then he'll flee. So if you're in a situation where you are in a battle, a spiritual battle, sometimes you can recognize it. You ever been there? He's like, the, the, the devil is busy. The devil is working in this situation. And you think to yourself, well, why isn't the devil fleeing? And I suspect it's because we're doing it backwards. I suspect when we're in a situation the devil's not fleeing, it's because we're resisting God and submitting to the devil. No wonder he's not fleeing. I want to shift gears just a little bit. Because we've been talking about how amazing God is and how he's calling us into this battle. And a cute observation would be if someone would say, you know what, wait a minute. If God is so powerful and he can do all this stuff without us, then why does he need us at all? I mean, why don't you just handle this and let me just hang out until it's all over with? So, why does God need us? You know, that's a trick question, because he doesn't need us. You can read all about that in Psalm 50, verses 9 through 12, where the verse says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. God doesn't need us. He doesn't need anybody else. So why tell us to participate? Because if you participate in the battle, you get to participate in the victory. If you participate in the battle, you get to participate in the victory. Let's look at Romans chapter 6. Puts it so much better. Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 5 says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For we've been united with him in a death like this. We will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. He is mighty to save. Our God is unique. He's undeniable. And I'm going to get to my last point. I'm sorry, he's undisputed. And my last point is that God is undeniable. God is undeniable. When you look through the New Testament and you read about when Jesus encounters an unclean spirit, someone who's demon-possessed, the thing that stands out to me the most is that these unclean spirits confess freely who Jesus is. He's undeniable. And on Palm Sunday, when we read in Luke chapter 19, verse 40, Jesus says, if these people would be quiet, 
then the rocks would cry out. God is undeniable. It's to the point that God is so undeniable that James gives no credit for people who actually believe in one God. James chapter 2, verse 19, he says, you believe there's one God. Well, good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Now, believing in one God seems as though you're making progress, but James says, that's not that big a deal. You believe in one God? Who doesn't? But the sad truth is a lot of people don't. Matthew 7, verse 13 says, For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. And so if they don't believe now, the day is coming when they will. Romans 14, 11. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. A day is coming. A day when it doesn't matter where you're from, what you look like, or what you did, what you used to believe, a day is coming where every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. God is undeniable. It's just a matter of time. Let me close. I'm going to close by saying this. There's so many of us who live as though we're dealing with constant defeat. The truth is that God has already won the victory. He has already won the victory. And as long as you stay on his side, your victory is guaranteed. That ought to encourage you. That ought to strengthen you. I think it's time we act like God has already won the victory. I want to encourage you with one final verse. Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 18. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And so this morning, if you've been afraid or you've been discouraged, I want to remind you of who God really is and what he's called you to be. And to encourage you with the fact that he's already guaranteed victory. So, if there's anything you need to confess, if there's any prayers that you may need, we're going to give you an opportunity to share that. If you're not a Christian already this morning, why not? It's time you join the winning team. And it's not because of us. It's not because of the people in this room. It's because of who God is. It's time you join his team. If there's any need that you have, please join us as we stand and sing.